Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, November 15th, 2023, the 1029th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you will know that at some point in 2022, I started talking about how 2023 was going to be all about rhino hunting. We were going to have to figure out who and what the uniparty right actually was and bring them out into the light. We need to make it clear to the American people that the sides, as we've been told them, are not the real sides and that that is actually just a controlled opposition dynamic that has been thrust upon us. And we have been encouraged to see the world that way and waste all our time, money and energy fighting against the wrong enemy. Now, again, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you'll know that I've never had any problem going after the members of Con Inc., the GOP establishment and elite, the members of the so-called conservative media who are not only anti-Trump, but in my view, anti-American. If you help cover up the usurpation of this country, you have to be serving something you believe is higher in terms of its ultimate importance than this country is. 
We're talking about people who watch our elections stolen in broad daylight again and again and again, and they deny that it happened. They gaslight the American public and they tell people that they're looking out for everyone's best interest the entire time. I have used a person's position on the election fraud issue as a litmus test throughout that entire time, and it has not failed me to this point. Which is not to say there aren't people who admit that our elections are stolen, but will not also eventually become betrayers. I think that there are those people out there. But when people are acting like they are conservatives or could be Trump friendly, Trump sometimes, like a Ben Shapiro, for instance, but they cover up election fraud on behalf of the regime, the way everybody in the conservative mainstream media does the way supporters of Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley do. I've never found one of them who doesn't eventually expose themselves completely as a hardline supporter of the global regime and the uniparty structure in the United States. They are members of the uniparty right. They're not America first. They don't care about make America great again. They hate Trump. They hate his supporters. By every measure that matters, they are the enemy. But for so long, they have said things that make them seem like allies and people have a really hard time letting it go. Now, over the last year plus now, we've dealt with the Ron DeSantis op, and that has helped expose so many of these people. And the fact that they're being exposed only serves to increase their derangement and their Trump hate, further exposing themselves and their true intentions. If we are to measure 2023 by the effectiveness of of the rhino hunting operation, well, it's been a smashing success. The litmus test on election fraud has held up. It has only been strengthened, as has the practice of viewing things through this uniparty lens. Understanding that there are a great many people who call themselves conservatives, but who are really every bit the problem, every bit the enemy that the people on the uniparty left are. As I've said many times, these are the biggest Biden supporters. Would anyone in this country publicly assert Joe Biden's legitimacy as the American president if all of these so-called conservatives and Republicans hadn't gone along with the lie that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? I don't think so. Even Republicans agree is one of the favorite claims of the uniparty left. It's how they claim that their positions lack bias. They're not partisan positions because even some Republicans agree. And they always have Republicans who are around to agree whenever it's an important issue. And on the important issues, they're always on the same page. Not in their messaging, but where they are ultimately driving the agenda. Now, as you might imagine, members of the uniparty right don't like being identified as members of the uniparty right. And in order to prevent being identified that way, they push the idea that there is no uniparty. There are just two opposing political parties that are like cats and dogs. They never get along about anything. Oh, they hate each other so much. Republicans are far right theocrats. And Democrats are all childish homosexuals. They never get along about anything. All of it is a conspiracy theory. But now that narrative is breaking down in the mainstream as well. Yesterday, The Federalist published a piece with this headline. The GOP is a fake opposition party with no vision for the country. Now, The Federalist isn't Fox News or Breitbart. It's not the biggest outlet there is. But they are fairly mainstream. They touch on the mainstream. Mainstream Republicans will read The Federalist. People like Molly Hemingway and Sean Davis from The Federalist have fairly sizable audiences and are fairly well respected by other people with big audiences. They're kind of around the fringes of the mainstream. They're certainly not the independent alternative media, and they're certainly not MAGA diehards. But they're widely read enough to make an impact. And this is an impactful narrative, particularly a week after the Republican establishment has had to explain to the nation why it has, quote unquote, lost another election. And what were the excuses? It was Ronna Romney's fault, which makes it Donald Trump's fault. 
and the election was all about abortion, which means the Uniparty gives itself not only a win on abortion policy, but also a narrative win about abortion. Because Republican voters are simply told, you didn't vote hard enough, and you might not be able to now that we've opened the Pandora's box of abortion. The conservative establishment is so good at losing, it's like they do it on purpose. But let's see what this writer, Sean Fleetwood, has to say. This is from yesterday afternoon before this House continuing resolution had passed. When Louisiana's Mike Johnson was pulled from obscurity and elected House Speaker last month, many conservatives were cautiously optimistic that the man with the self-professed biblical worldview and somewhat solid voting record would be the fighter they've needed to halt the Democrats' Marxist takeover of society. Unfortunately, it didn't take long to discover that Johnson is just as weak-kneed as his Republican predecessors. On Tuesday afternoon, Johnson and House Republicans are set to surrender to Democrats yet again on a major government spending fight. Rather than stand strong and fight for conservative priorities, Johnson is proposing a continuing resolution, or CR, to keep the federal government funded through the beginning of next year. Unsurprisingly, the proposal does nothing to address key issues plaguing the nation, such as the Biden-manufactured crisis at the U.S. southern border and maintains already high spending levels. With members of the House Freedom Caucus expected to vote against the measure, Johnson will need the help of House Democrats to send the package to the Senate. Given leading House Democrats' positive remarks about the bill, the GOP speaker is likely to get it. Here's a little tip for Republicans. If Pramila Jayapal, one of the House's most radical leftists, is praising your bill and claiming it includes, quote, two of the big things, end quote, that Democrats wanted, then chances are your bill sucks. Of course, none of this appears to matter to Johnson, who's been making his rounds on cable news to insult the intelligence of Republican voters by acting like his CR is the greatest thing since Elizabeth Warren discovered what a peace pipe is. During an interview on CNBC, the speaker tried to make the case that kicking the spending can down the road is good because it's better than a massive omnibus spending package and keeps the government open. I think we'll have a bipartisan agreement that passing a short term CR, quote, is a better way to have the actual appropriations process, Johnson said. We have a shutdown looming and we've got to prevent that because that would do even more harm for the economy. Got that? It's avoiding a government shutdown. That's the real problem, not record high federal spending or the invasion at the U.S.-Mexico border or the politically weaponized Justice Department or covid fascism or DEI in the military, or Biden's federal election interference, or anything else Republican voters care about. So let that be the framing of the issue. I'm going to jump down to the end here. When was the last time Republicans came out on top of Democrats in any given legislative policy fight? And when's the last time Democrats put forward a spending measure in which Republicans are the ones saying the, quote, negotiated, end quote, bill accomplishes the will of conservative voters? There's only one legitimate political force playing to win in Washington, D.C., and it's not the Republican Party. At the end of the day, GOP voters must realize that politicians work for the people, not the other way around. If an elected Republican isn't fighting and voting based on the interests of his or her voters, it's incumbent upon conservatives to get active in Republican primaries and throw them out of office. Until then, conservatives should continue to expect more of the same, in which Democrats destroy the country while Republicans stand around and watch. Now, to be clear, this is the view from Normieville. This is not an awakened perspective. This writer does not seem to have a clear understanding of who the sides actually are, although he's starting to get close. And I imagine that other similar standard issue uniparty right villagers are beginning to understand these concepts that the Republicans there, quote unquote, in office who have been, quote unquote, elected are not actually there to do the bidding of Republican voters, their constituents. It's not so much that Democrats are destroying the country while Republicans stand around and watch. It's that they're both destroying the country together and then telling different groups of people that they're actually helping them defeat the other group. The buy-in to this paradigm means that 
the politicians and the people in power continue to amass more power, status and wealth while you end up hating your neighbor. That is terrible for American society, but it's good for these politicians, these people pursuing power and, of course, the global regime, the entity who will eventually provide them that power. So the writer is unclear about what the sides really are here. Democrats and Republicans are just two halves of the same uniparty. It's the uniparty right and the uniparty left. Democrat versus Republican means nothing. Red versus blue, left versus right means nothing. All that matters is good twin versus evil twin. Sovereign nations and sovereign individuals versus the global regime and all of its supporters. It's not an accident that the Republicans are not getting the job done. So the first mistake is misunderstanding the sides. The second mistake is misunderstanding the fact that our elections are stolen and you can't actually go through the primary process and hold these people to account, at least not as things currently stand. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's not worth trying. We can go through the illegitimate process in order to continue proving it to more of the public that the process is illegitimate, but we can't expect to fix things through rigged elections. And exposing the fact that elections are rigged is actually more important than attempting to win rigged elections and then using your newfound illegitimate power to quote unquote fix the elections that put you in power. So let's get the official story on the passage of this continuing resolution. This is from the Washington Post yesterday. House passes bill to avert government shutdown sends to Senate. The House on Tuesday passed stopgap legislation to keep the federal government operating past this weekend, sending the bill to the Senate days before the deadline without any of the deep spending cuts conservative Republicans had sought. Without new spending laws, the government will shut down at 12.01 a.m. Saturday, forcing federal workers, including military members and airport security agents, to miss paychecks on the eve of the Thanksgiving holiday. The legislation passed on a 336 to 95 vote extends funding at current spending levels for about 20 percent of the federal government until January 19th and the remaining 80 percent until February 2nd. The laddered deadlines in the bill called a continuing resolution or CR are designed to allow the House and Senate to pass and negotiate full year spending bills though the two chambers are nowhere near in agreement on those, and avoid a massive year-end spending bill called an omnibus. It could still trigger two more standoffs that lead to partial government shutdowns early next year. This is an important innovation, House Speaker Mike Johnson told reporters Tuesday morning. We have broken the fever. We are not going to have a massive omnibus spending bill right before Christmas. This is a gift to the American people. Funds would expire for military and veterans programs, agriculture and food agencies, and the Departments of Transportation and Housing and Urban Development on January 19th. They would expire for the State, Defense, Commerce, Labor, and Health and Human Services Departments, among others, on February 2nd. The bill passed the House under a process called Suspension of the Rules, which required two-thirds of the chamber to approve the measure because some Far-right Republicans refused to allow it to proceed under a lower threshold without spending reductions. And just a couple more points from this article. House Democrats said they were not happy about the bifurcated deadlines in the bill, but they were relieved to vote for it to prevent a shutdown. So they wanted to prevent a shutdown. They got that. They didn't want spending reduced. They got that. They're just not happy that there are two deadlines, one on January 19th and one on February 2nd. That is how this is being portrayed to the American public. Also, the legislation represents a major compromise from Johnson, who eschewed calls from the far right flank of the GOP conference to slash federal spending or add controversial policy positions that Democrats and some Republicans reject. And skipping down just one last time. If the House and Senate haven't agreed on 12 appropriations laws by the start of next year, across the board, 1% spending cuts are set to kick in at the end of April, which arch conservatives have hoped to use to compel those policy changes. 
So far, the House is pushing for spending laws funded at far lower levels than the Senate and also lower than the levels that Biden and McCarthy had agreed on earlier this year in a deal involving the federal debt ceiling. So how should we think about this? The leverage provided by a potential government shutdown has gone unused again. In a perfect world where all of this was real and the representatives were actually serving their constituents and people were doing what they should do, the potential of a government shutdown could be used to extract the sorts of concessions that would actually improve the budget situation and stop with the ridiculous printing and spending of money we don't have, which is an extension of our indentured servitude. But we're not in that world. And because we're not in that world, we can't apply the thinking that would apply in that world. We have to consider this in a different way, understanding that our ultimate goal is not simply to cut spending. And so if simply cutting spending is not our ultimate goal, then what is and how do we think of this? A few weeks ago, we were spending a lot of time on the Uniparty. We were dealing with a vacancy in the position of Speaker of the House and discussing what should be done about it. It was my position that we should have no speaker whatsoever because we had all the leverage and there was really nothing that a speaker of the house was going to be able to accomplish in this next year that actually advanced an America first agenda. If the unit party wanted to have a speaker of the house so bad, they should announce themselves, come together and choose one on their own. The government is already illegitimate. We don't need to pretend that not having a Speaker of the House throws the nation into crisis. The nation's already in crisis. It has been in crisis and a Speaker of the House on the Republican side in late 2023 and in 2024 is not going to make a difference. But hey, it's not like they're coming to me and asking me to decide what's going to happen. I give my opinion and that's about it. My opinion was not followed, and lo and behold, we have a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who is said to be a very devout and faithful Christian, a good man, a great legal mind and constitutional scholar, and fully committed MAGA supporter. In fact, the other day, he endorsed Donald Trump. He was elected by the entire Republican conference, a unanimous vote, after other more prominent figures weren't able to get over the hump. And oh, how the people celebrated, but not me. No, not me. And people told me I was crazy. They wondered if I was blackpilling. Why can't you be more optimistic about Mike Johnson? This is a great man who genuinely aligns with our interests. Why not just give him a chance? And of course, I have to give him a chance. He's there. We have to play the cards we're dealt. Of course, I want good things to happen. So Mike Johnson gets a chance, but let's see how he does. The reason I was concerned was because so many members of the Uniparty joined in to unanimously vote for Mike Johnson, and the House immediately got to work trying to commit the citizens of the United States to an extension of their indentured servitude and the indentured servitude of generations to follow. We had to go spend more money. We had to give more money to foreign countries. And thank goodness we have a Speaker of the House. I mean, right? No speaker would have stopped all that in its tracks. Now we have a speaker and the Uniparty can just keep chugging along. And that's how a lot of people are perceiving this new latest development in the Mike Johnson speakership. Now, at the time, I was saying that what could happen if a speaker gets named and approved, which is the situation we find ourselves in. They would end up extending the spending past this November 17th deadline. That would be this Friday. And then we would very likely get that omnibus bill between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Same as we got last year, even through a lame duck House and Senate last year. That's what they pulled off. And I said that was the worst case scenario. Now, just as a matter of fact, the first part of that has already happened. They figured out a way to continue funding government through this November 17th deadline. The leverage of the government shutdown was clearly not used. The leverage of the speaker vacancy was not used. The leverage of the government shutdown was not used. The Republicans did not win any concessions from the Democrats and House Democrats and Senate Democrats 
are more than happy to push this bill along and through because they absolutely have to keep the government funded. It's like some sort of existential crisis for them. And at least some of that is due to this. This is from November 9th in Market Watch. Treasury's 24 billion 30 year bond auction goes poorly, trader says. Thursday afternoon's $24 billion sale of 30-year Treasury bonds drew weaker-than-expected demand, according to Greg Farinello, head of U.S. Rates Trading and Strategy at Amerivet Securities in New York, citing the bid-to-cover ratio and yield concession which came in. The 1 p.m. Eastern Time auction caps a trio of sales that have taken place since Tuesday, totaling $112 billion and which were seen as important tests of demand. Treasury yields moved up slightly after Thursday's auction results came out, reflecting a further sell-off in underlying government debt. And this isn't something new. This is just getting worse. Last month in Business Insider, October 12th, Treasury bond auction runs into weak demand amid fears that soaring U.S. debt will overwhelm Wall Street. The headline from Barron's this past Thursday. 30-year Treasury auction breaks bad, sinks stock market. Zero Hedge had an article up about this over the weekend, Saturday, November 11th, Treasury auctions explained for people with short attention spans. And Zero Hedge writes, In plain terms, yesterday's bond auction means the government sale of debt that is necessary to continue running the economic Ponzi scheme we call fiscal and monetary policy didn't go quite as well as old crow Janet Yellen's medicine show would have liked. It's a long and detailed article that explains how these bond markets work. But jumping down to the end, bottom line, the tail measures unanticipated treasury demand shifts before auction. The larger the tail, the worse the auction. And if we ever see a tail in the four, five or six BPS range, this would be considered disastrous in the bond world and mean things are breaking in U.S. treasuries. Thus, the importance of yesterday's 5.3 BPS tail. Okay, so now we know that a low bid to cover could be a red flag. An underbid auction can be cause for some concern, and a big tail is a big no-no. But what exactly does it mean when a treasury auction fails? Going back to the bid to cover ratio, you may wonder what happens if the treasury holds an auction and receives fewer bids than face value of the securities they're selling. This would mean the bid to cover falls below one and the treasury failed to raise as much money as they expected. In the bond world, this is a failed auction and nothing short of catastrophic for the U.S. Treasury. So you may ask, with dwindling demand for U.S. Treasuries and active selling from Japan and China, is there a possibility of a failed auction soon? Why, yes, yes, there is. So U.S. debt is exploding out of control to the point where no one wants to invest in that debt any longer. We are running out of money, but continuing to spend it anyway. Now, consider the perspective from Normieville that we read in the Federalist article. The article realizes that the leverage the Republicans could have used to get concessions from Democrats was not used. The Republicans basically just gave the Democrats what they want. That is the view from Normieville. And because that's how all of this is being portrayed in the mainstream, a lot of people are thinking that Mike Johnson has failed. And if all of this was real and we were in normal circumstances, I might be inclined to agree with them. He should have used the most leverage possible to get as many concessions from Democrats as possible. He could have stuck to his guns, even in a minority position. If he doesn't bring a bill to the floor, to keep funding the government, then the Democrats in the House don't get to fund the government. The Democrats in the Senate don't get to fund the government. The Republicans in the Senate don't get to fund the government. And Joe Biden doesn't get to fund the government. Mike Johnson, with the power granted to him by virtue of his position, could have used all of that leverage to get those concessions and make the uniparty operate on his terms as the faithful MAGA representative. The guy who is doing the work of the American people, the American people want spending stopped. Well, Mike Johnson is going to go in and use all the power and leverage of his office to stop that spending. And he didn't do it. So if we are standard issue uniparty right villagers, we should be very upset at Mike Johnson right now. 
and naturally they are. But my concern, as I described it during the vacancy in the Speaker of the House position during that whole process, the concern I described had two parts. The first part was that a continuing resolution of some sort would be passed to avoid this November 17th government shutdown. And I worried that it would lead to the passage of an omnibus on an up or down vote between Thanksgiving and Christmas while the country had tuned out. Now, that is a decidedly different scenario than the one that we are witnessing right now. Now, it could be that in a month from now, they might go and try to pass an omnibus spending bill. And if Mike Johnson allows that to happen, we're in an entirely different scenario. That would be the scenario I described being worried about over the course of a few weeks in October. But this scenario now, as it stands, is not that scenario. This CR would keep parts of the government functioning through the 19th of January next year and other parts through the 2nd of February. So we have a roughly 60-day extension and then a 75-day extension. And what does this mean relative to the worst-case scenario I had described? The worst-case scenario, again, being passing the continuing resolution to avert this government shutdown on the 17th and then passing an omnibus on an up or down vote that would fund this corrupt government throughout all of next year while the country had checked out for the holidays. This is not that scenario. What is this scenario? Well, I think what we might come to see this means is that there won't be any chance an omnibus spending bill passes on an up or down vote between Thanksgiving and Christmas or the end of the year. And if they can't load everything into an omnibus and tell the country that the omnibus was must pass legislation, I mean, it had the National Defense Authorization Act. It had the farm bill. We just had to pass it no matter what up or down vote. No one can be held accountable for any of the individual spending priorities. You just throw it all in there. Everybody gets all the money they want and we have to pass it. No one has any choice. Up or down vote, vote for it, and no one can be held accountable because it was something that had to be done. It would have been irresponsible not to. And they have all the excuses lined up, everything to pull at your heartstrings. Oh, people won't get their checks over the holidays. Now, I'm not trying to make light of that situation. That is a very sad situation. But as I've said on the podcast many times, we cannot allow the regime to put a gun to our heads every time they bring up some emotional justification for why we must get on board with what they want to do. Every time they name some sort of victim class who will be hurt irreparably if we actually demand responsibility and we demand that people do what they said they were going to do. We can't be held hostage emotionally and reputationally every time the regime decides that something has to be done. And we should notice every time they're doing this, if they are providing a rationalization to the public about how we are bad people for not going along with what they want, they're trying to hold us hostage. They're saying, we dare you not to do what we want. We are going to make all of you look like terrible people in your communities, in public, to your family and friends. We're going to call you stupid. We're going to call you hateful. We're going to call you bigoted. We're going to say that you're hurting old people and veterans. We're going to say you're threatening people's jobs, that you're threatening national security. Each issue all the time, that's the strategy. Are you going to bow before them and go along? That is what we would have seen if they were going in the direction of an omnibus after Thanksgiving. And it is possible that Mike Johnson was just able to avoid that worst case scenario. Now, again, I didn't want any speaker at all. I have no personal problem with Mike Johnson, but I didn't want a speaker. So I certainly am not inclined to just give Mike Johnson the benefit of the doubt or shill for Mike Johnson or defend Mike Johnson from criticism. Mike Johnson's not my friend. He's not my hero. I don't know him personally. I hope he proves to be a great man and does a great many things for the United States of America. But my feelings aren't going to be hurt if he doesn't. I won't be surprised if he doesn't. I expect nothing from this current crop of politicians, and I don't even really think they're legitimate in the first place. But we should at least look at the possibilities. 
Did Mike Johnson just prove that he is a member of the Uniparty? Did he just unite with Democrats in order to keep funding this government at spending rates that are not only out of control, but are wholly unsustainable? Well, maybe, maybe that's what he did. Maybe he worked with Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries and brought us a deal that benefits the Uniparty and the global agenda at the expense of the American people again by extending the indentured servitude of the American people for generations down the line. But let's consider another possibility. So we are going to have a spending discussion, not once at the beginning of next year, but twice right in the first few weeks of the year. As soon as everyone comes back from the holidays, we're going to have that first spending fight. And assuming they get through that, then we'll immediately have a second one. Mike Johnson has said there will be no more continuing resolutions. He wants to pass single subject House appropriations bills. And maybe we will get those and maybe we won't. But the point is, we actually want to put everyone on record. What are your spending priorities? The single subject spending bills allow us to see who's voting for what, where someone's interests actually are and where they are out of alignment with their constituents. How many of these Republicans in the House are going to vote for each and every one of these spending bills? Are they going to show us that they are just like the Democrats? They have no problem with the Democrats spending priorities. They have no problem with the size of government. They have no problem with our out of control debt and deficits. And they are in office only to do the bidding of the global regime. They're not interested in doing the work of their constituents because their constituents aren't the ones electing them in the first place. Their goal is not to do the work of their constituents. The goal is to make it look like the work they're doing is for the benefit of their constituents, or they're going to be very direct and down to earth in telling their constituents why they had to fail them again. It doesn't need to make sense. It doesn't need to be true. It just needs to be believable to the point where the television will tell everybody this is what good Republicans do. Now, of all the confusing situations in the world that are really hard to read and really hard to understand, issues involving global economies and currencies may be the most difficult. But what do we know? We know that BRICS nations are aligning against the global regime and its bankers fiat currency currently branded as the American dollar. We know they are aligned not only on the currency front, but also geopolitically and in many cases militarily. This is the emergence of the multipolar world order. We also know that the American dollar has fallen on hard times. And we can see that our debt ballooning out of control does have the potential to cause real problems. And we are going to see those real problems in the world. People have predicted all of this for a very long time, and there are enormous bodies of work strictly devoted to this subject. So if we are going to see those problems next year and the United States somehow has to move away from the global bankers fiat currency without totally destabilizing our society and while also placing the blame for all of that directly at the feet of the global regime, how might that look? Well, I would suggest that as many reruns as we've seen of the government shutdown narrative and the continuing resolution, the omnibus spending, the outrageous government spending, the ballooning deficits and debt, as many times as we've seen this story told over the years, there are still plenty of people in our country that have not learned the lesson yet. And as I've said many times, we're going to see rerun after rerun after rerun until everyone, or at least enough people, once we hit that critical mass, have learned each and every lesson. Once enough of the class has learned the lesson, then we can move on. And we are not there yet when it comes to this issue, but we need to get there over the course of the next year. And what we have lining up are a series of opportunities for the public to finally learn this lesson. We are going to see reruns in January. We are going to see another series of reruns immediately following that. Will we eventually at that point see a government shutdown or some pause in government, some disruption in government spending? Well, that's possible. 
But either way, there has to be some sort of economic problem at some point. It is one of those things that seems to be unavoidable. And if it's going to happen, everybody's going to know about it. If everybody's going to know about it, then everyone is going to want to assign blame. Are they going to assign blame properly or not? If Mike Johnson, for instance, could have a government shutdown right now laid at his feet, what would the narrative be? MAGA speaker Mike Johnson shuts down government, destroys American economy. That is what they would try to sell. Now, if that happened, would I be down to take on that battle? Yes, sure, fine. We can do that. We can get through that. But we would be doing that on our own. There would be no help from the GOP establishment, the GOP elite, Con Inc., and their media. They would join the uniparty left in attacking Mike Johnson and attacking MAGA, and they would have a narrative they love to be able to pin all of our economic problems on MAGA, even while Donald Trump is not, quote unquote, in office. But what is it going to look like next year? They have gotten the spending that they want. We're going to have this rerun play out once throughout the middle of January and then a new rerun starting right after that to play through the end of January and beginning of February. And are they going to get all of the spending passed at that point? And how long will it extend? This is not the sort of thing that the Uniparty wants to have playing out throughout 2024 in the lead up to an election where it is going to be Uniparty versus Donald Trump and all of the people. If and when there is some sort of economic collapse or currency collapse in the United States, people are going to understand that it's because we have spent out of control for decade upon decade upon decade, while at the same time involving ourselves in the affairs of foreign nations who do not want our involvement. And that is the lesson that people must learn, that all of us must learn through this awakening process. The only way that reaction can get rerouted in favor of the global regime and their agenda is by pinning a major economic collapse in America on a government shutdown. The major collapse happened because all of those irresponsible populists shut down our government. Now, it's easy to say Americans wouldn't fall for that in the abstract, in normal times, in principle. All of that might be correct. But what happens if the economy is actually collapsing and inflation goes out of control temporarily or the banks are shut down and people can't access their money for a week or two? Will people at that point believe the television when the television tells them it's the fault of all those MAGA extremists who shut down the government? Can we win that messaging war? Yeah, maybe we can. But if the event itself is already inevitable, then the only thing that matters is the framing and assigning proper responsibility to the problem. Proper responsibility rests with the regime who have used modern monetary theory to print and spend the United States into oblivion, which again really means just extend and extend and extend our indentured servitude and the indentured servitude of our progeny for generations. That is where the responsibility must fall. And the only way we can lose that if the event is inevitable is by allowing a situation where it can be reasonably asserted that something other than the spending has caused this problem. Even if they only have to argue that the government shutdown caused the immediate problem with the banks shutting down or inflation skyrocketing very quickly or a similar situation, they only have to sell the idea that the government shutdown is responsible for the immediate problem that real people are actually facing in their real lives. That would be one of those events that gets everybody back on the same page and everyone turns to the regime to fix the problem for them. So while it looks like Mike Johnson might be working on behalf of the Uniparty to extend our indentured servitude, what he might be doing is taking a very mild short-term narrative loss for a much, much bigger narrative win, one that actually has to be necessary. And if that is indeed what Mike Johnson is doing, 
then he really is doing yeoman's work on behalf of the American people. And when he says this is a gift to the American people, it might not look like one right now, but in six months, it's possible that we're looking back on this being the last continuing resolution that was signed and being the single mechanism that allows us to avoid the passage of that omnibus on an up or down vote between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. And if we're able to avoid that worst case scenario, then what we end up having is a very effective rerun playing out all next year while any major economic and currency adjustment occurs so that the responsibility for that short-term crisis, however long it might last, falls directly where it should fall, which is at the feet of the people who have printed and borrowed and spent us into oblivion. So how about that? I don't think I could ever possibly be any more fair to Mike Johnson. So that's the CR. But we also have this spending issue. This is from yesterday in the New York Post. Senate Democrats block standalone Israel aid bill want Ukraine funding included. Senate Democrats on Tuesday blocked an effort by Republicans to force the upper chamber to consider a standalone Israel bill passed by the House earlier this month. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas asked for unanimous consent to pass the House approved legislation that would provide Israel with $14.3 billion for its war against Hamas and offset the spending by cutting IRS funding earmarked in President Biden's so-called Inflation Reduction Act. The legislation backed by 12 House Democrats on November 2nd was blocked by a handful of Senate Democrats. Senator Patty Murray, Democrat of Washington, argued that funding for Ukraine and humanitarian assistance must be included in any Israel package before it reaches the president's desk. Once again, I had to block a Senate Republican's attempt to pit aid for Israel against support for Ukraine and humanitarian assistance, Murray wrote in an ex post, formerly Twitter. I've said this before and I'll say it again. We cannot just do half our job. It's not just wrong, it's dangerous, and it's naive. She went on. We cannot send the message to our allies or to the world that America only stands by some of its allies, that our word is only good some of the time. So Patty Murray is arguing that we have to give Ukraine whatever they want for as long as they want, and we have to give Israel whatever they want for as long as they want, but we also have to do it in such a way that gives them both whatever they want for as long as they want together at the same time. Otherwise, we can't give either of them what they want. That is the very consistent position of illegitimate uniparty left communists. But let's think about this in regards to Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson, new speaker, comes right in, passes a bill for Israel aid. And as I discussed a couple of weeks ago, I'm not a fan of that sort of thing, but it would tell us quite a lot about the priorities of uniparty senators on both sides. Did Mike Johnson pass something in the House to provide narrative cover vis-a-vis -vis Israel while knowing that the Senate wasn't going to pass it anyhow? How is it going to look to the public that the Senate can't get a package for Israel aid approved right now because they're holding it up for Ukraine aid in a cause that virtually no one supports anymore. The supporters of the uniparty left and the uniparty right who went all in on Ukraine, their little flag emojis, all big fans of the comedic actor. Most of them have figured out that's a bad idea. They don't want to keep doing it. They're a little worried that people are going to hold them accountable for what they've done for the last 21 months, but they don't want to do it now. Now they want to save Israel to prove to everyone that they're not anti-Semitic, not that they know anything about any of it. But they don't want to do Ukraine anymore because they know Ukraine's bad. It's a little hard to be supporting Ukrainian Nazis while you're also supporting Israel because you're not anti-Semitic. Why is it that all the people these exact people have supported are refusing to support Israel without supporting Ukraine? Don't they care about the plight of the Jewish people, of the Israeli people? Don't they care about the state of Israel? I mean, that's all they've said they care about for the last few weeks. And then they have the opportunity 
to pass the aid, send it to the very real president's desk and get Israel the help they need. And they say, no, no, we can't do it. Not without that Ukraine funding. We're going to send this bill back to the House and we're going to hope they act on it immediately. And if they don't act on it immediately, well, it could be days or weeks or even months before Israel gets the help it needs. How could they risk such a thing just on the basis of needing more money for Ukraine, even though we've already given them like a hundred billion zillion jillion dollars? I think it's time to admit what everyone by now knows. All of these people are anti-Semitic, but you know who doesn't look bad at all in this situation? Mike Johnson and MAGA. He did what he had to do. And MAGA Republicans did what they had to do. Aren't we all proud of everybody for doing what they had to do and offering to help Israel? Now, were they doing that on behalf of the Uniparty and the Uniparty's efforts in Israel? Or were they doing that to provide narrative cover, knowing that the bill coming out of the House was doomed in the Senate? I guess we'll find out, but I like our odds. And the last Uniparty dynamic that I want to talk about today in the House is this week's effort by Marjorie Taylor Greene to impeach the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. This is the Washington Examiner from Tuesday evening. MTG vows third attempt to impeach Mayorkas and dares GOP to block it. Marjorie Taylor Greene has refused to accept defeat following House Republicans failure to take up her second impeachment effort against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and vowed to try a third time. Green flanked by border state rep Tony Gonzalez from Texas during a press conference outside the Capitol on Tuesday, lambasted the eight GOP defectors who just a day earlier tabled her attempt to remove the Biden administration official who she said was to blame for the deaths of two Americans. The biggest thing that we want is to see action from our conference. We want to see boldness and courage among Republicans to do the right thing for the American people so that no more Americans die from the Biden administration's open border policy, Green said. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas must be impeached, and that's why I will reintroduce my articles of impeachment in a privileged resolution once again on the House floor, and I dare those eight Republicans to shelf them again. The article notes that the congressman who failed to support MTG's impeachment attempt were Cliff Bentz of Oregon, Ken Buck of Colorado, John Duarte of California, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, Daryl Issa of California, Tom McClintock of California, Patrick McHenry, who was just recently the acting speaker of the House pro tempore, and Mike Turner from Ohio. So that is an odd collection of Republicans. That was not just about MAGA or not MAGA. That was not about regime. And this is one of those issues where if you're taking the view from Normieville, you would say Alejandro Mayorkas is overseeing a slave trade at the southern border. He's letting millions and millions of illegal aliens into this country unvetted and is essentially a partner with the Mexican drug cartels in this trafficking operation. He should absolutely be impeached. And these Republicans who are preventing him from being impeached are absolutely feckless. They're not serving their constituents. They are actually helping the Democrats. But again, I think that's probably the wrong way to look at this. Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. He runs an illegitimate administration. Alejandro Mayorkas is an illegitimate representative of that illegitimate administration and therefore should not be impeached. Impeachment is not the proper way to remove Alejandro Mayorkas, just as it's not the proper way to remove Joe Biden. Impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas and allowing Joe Biden to replace him with someone else? would bring a Senate confirmation hearing, maybe, and we would eventually get another person put into that position, we would be told that person would do a better job, that person would do exactly the same job without the same level of attention, because everyone is going to say, well, you can't blame him for the problems caused by Alejandro Mayorkas. You got to give this guy a chance, at least through the election, and the same policies would remain in place. It would make no real world difference for Alejandro Mayorkas to be removed. 
It's also not a significant enough narrative win. I would even suggest it's possible that it wouldn't be a narrative win at all. It would basically just serve as a good reason to forget about Alejandro Mayorkas. Alejandro Mayorkas has become the face of this problem at the border. That is effective. The problem at the border should have a face. We don't want to get rid of that face because doing so would convince people that the problem has been solved when the problem hasn't been solved at all. I know everybody wants to get wins. Everybody wants to get the sort of wins where the television tells us, hey, you won. Because we know the television tells everyone else that we won. And finally, all those people will know that we won. Oh, they're going to finally admit that we won. I can't wait until they're like, okay, this time, yeah, you won. Hey guys, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And we need to stop caring about that happening. We need to keep focused on what the ultimate goal is. And the ultimate goal, as far as I'm concerned, is to propel the awakening forward and get the entire country to understand what has been done to us and in our name. And at that point, you would think that people collectively will finally have the will to change, finally have the motivation to actually participate in these processes and shake off all of the brainwashing and indoctrination and lies that have become so deeply ingrained in our understanding of who we are and what this country represents. I don't care about these short-term wins from the perspective of a standard-issue villager on the uniparty right. That's not the sort of thing we're fighting for. Our goals are not aligned with the stated goals of Fox News. They're going to keep yelling and complaining about all of this normie stuff And I'm going to stay focused on what propels the actual awakening, what gets us all to the point we need to be at in order to handle these major issues and place the responsibility for these problems where it belongs so that people can be held accountable. Getting caught up in the day-to-day political minutiae, hoping for wins, hoping for the television to tell us we did a good job is pointless. But as this process goes on, Allow those people to be upset about these things because what they're seeing emerge is the presence of the uniparty. And once they understand it's there, that's when the new perspective can actually open up in front of them. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel-couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!